Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Coolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in our series, First Peter, Hope in the Midst of Suffering. In this series, we will discover how to experience hope within suffering through learning how to embrace love, submission, and identity in the midst of challenges as we follow the example of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing. If I've not met you, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Coolangatta. We're actually in week five of an eight-week series on the first letter of Peter. And the title of this series is Hope in the Midst of Suffering. You see, Peter, he's a practical guy, right? He's a fisherman. He's a tradie. They're generally quite practical in how they live their lives. And so he doesn't hide from the truth about how hard life can be. And he's more than happy to teach into all these areas of life, these real and difficult areas. And Peter's heart is to show that the gospel can be applied to all these areas of your life, especially the most difficult areas to bring hope and peace through the gospel. The thing is, we actually need to live out this practical advice he gives here in this letter. Because it's one thing to read it, it's one thing to understand it, but we actually need to live it out. We need to be active in our faith. And so as we go through this letter be having the mindset of, how do I live this out? Just not have some knowledge about something, but how do I walk this out to show people God's grace and love? So this theme is actually a continuation from last week's theme of submission. And Peter pulls the focus now into the home, into the family space. Now, if you weren't here last week, we started in 1 Peter 2.11, where he talks about submission. First, he talks about submitting to God. Don't sin. Stop sinning. We need to submit to his commands that we would be a blessing to our society. God calls us to live in society, not remove ourselves from it, but actually live in it and be a blessing to it. And so he says one way that we do that, we first submit to God, then we submit to the governing authorities. Those that we live in and live under, we submit to them. So if there's road rules, we follow the road rules as good Christians, and and that shows them the character and nature of God. It shows them the love of God. We we want to be a blessing to the governing authorities, right? He then pulls the focus in a bit closer into masters, those, our job, where we work, that we're meant to submit to our bosses. Not if they're asking us to do anything wrong, but we're meant to work as if we're working unto the Lord, work with all integrity. So we submit in that area. And then he shows us in in, uh, verse 21, he says, here's an example. Christ is the example for us to follow. And today he's bringing that focus now in right, right in to the family circle. So I need to be very clear. This is actually a continuation of the theme of submission that was started way back in chapter 2. So he says this, chapter 3, verse 1. Wives. In the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold and jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. 
You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now we need to recognize what happens here in verse 1, how it starts and how it starts in verse 7. It starts with, in the same way, wives, in the same way, saying everything I spoke about last week, submitting to governing authorities and to masters, all of that in the same way, we're meant to bring that into the family. But recognize verse 7. It starts with husbands in the same way. So everything he's teaching the wives, everything he's taught before that, actually applies to the husband too. This verse is not talking about headship. So he's not talking about the family structure, headship in there. There are other verses in the Bible that speak about that. But in the context of what Peter's talking about here, that's not what he's actually saying. He's saying, look, here's a system we're coming down. We're following down this system in the context and we're looking at what it means to submit. So now I've got that out of the way. I'd love to pray before we get into the message. Father God, I just thank you so much for your word. God, your word is so beautiful. And when we dig into your word, we find so much truth that actually sets us free. It sets us free to love one another, to care for one another. God, I pray that you would help me preach this word with truth and grace and love, that in the end, God, they wouldn't look to me, that I only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. So many of you know my story. At 33, um, I got saved. And for the first two and a half years, I went to church by myself. My wife wasn't saved at that stage. And so I'd got saved. I started going to church, started serving at church, started volunteering. My life had changed radically from where I was. God was changing all this stuff in my life. And my desire was to follow him in all of my life. And that was happening outside of my marriage. So my life had changed out here, and it's sad to say that it didn't change in my marriage. I, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do with it. I was chasing Jesus. My wife wasn't. I didn't know how to talk to her about it. I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and I was still living a life like it was before. It was transactional, right? So it was like, you do something for me, I'll do something for you. And that's not God's heart. I remember praying one day going, God, this is, this is hard. I don't know what to do here. And God often speaks to me through his word. And a verse came to me. It just said, first seek the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. And it was crazy. Over the next six months, God was showing me where I wasn't loving my wife properly. <laughs> I wasn't treating her well. I wasn't loving her like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so it took months where God was working on me, working on my character, before Georgie actually saw a shift, a change in the family space. So then she wanted to then come, come to church. And so she comes to church, she started attending church, and I was just volunteering on the Connect team, leading the Connect teams, both services, and... I was there and it was the end of the message and our old lead pastor, who's actually going to be coming preaching here in two weeks, Stu Cameron, he was preaching, he gave an altar call and, and she came down the front and I didn't even know. I was outside welcoming people for the next service. And one of the pastors goes, your missus is down the front. And I'm like, what? 
I look down there and he goes, go down there. I'm like, what am I going to do? He goes, go down there. I'm like, okay. So I walk down the front and I stood next to her. I don't even know what I'm doing. Right? I don't even know what I'm doing. But this is what Peter's teaching to the husbands and the wives here in this portion of the text. That we're to love and treat our spouses or family members as Christians with love and respect. You might be sitting there going, I'm not married. That's okay, you might be one day. But the thing is, this isn't just talking about marriage. It's talking about sons and daughters obeying their parents, submitting to their parents. It's submitting to one another. And so he starts, sorry, wives, <clears throat> in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. He's saying, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves. Again, we've been talking about last week, right? How he's been talking about how we submit in all levels of society to proclaim the gospel. He says, submit to them, to your husband, if any of them do not believe the word. Now, we need to understand the context of where Peter is actually speaking into here in that time in the first century. In that time, in that place, it was patriarchal. So basically, the husband would set the tone of who you worship. So if the husband worshipped a certain God, then the whole family worshipped that same God. This wasn't the other way around. Women didn't get to make that call, right? So that the patriarchal system, the husband did. So he goes, I'm worshipping this God. You all have to worship the same God. But what happened was women were coming to the gospel, right? The gospel was being spread throughout that area in Asia Minor, and people were coming to know Jesus, and they're having this wrestle within them, right? Because now I have Jesus, Lord, who I'm submitting to. Then how do, how do I submit in this space to my husband? This was an issue for women at that time. It wasn't an issue for husbands. Because if they got saved, they were like, all right, everyone's a Christian now, right? They say, we're all Christian. We're going to go worship Jesus. And this is why Peter speaks into this reality. Again, Peter speaks into the reality that we actually live in. And the key here is a voluntary submission. Peter's not like demanding obedience. The obedience is involved in submission. He's actually asking for an attitude towards one's husband of this voluntary submission, whether he's a Christian or not. So it makes us the question, how can you submit to a husband who's not a Christian? Well, you can't submit to him spiritually, of course, unless he's submitted to Christ, right? Nor can you submit if he's requiring you to sin or, since, or do anything that's immoral, since your submission to Christ takes precedent over submission to any human being. But submission to your non-Christian husband, Peter makes very clear, maybe important element of his conversion to Christianity. When he sees his wife's faith that's worked out through her life, this is actually a powerful testimony to him of the truth and the power of the gospel of Jesus. Because he says that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your behavior, your conduct might actually win them over to Christ. It's your behavior, Christian wives, that might convince him, not just your words. Do you know that you just can't argue people into the kingdom? I've tried it. Trust me, it doesn't work. I did it at the wars for years, tried to argue all the boys in. So you gotta just argue, and here's what the Bible says. It never worked, right? You actually have to show them Christ in how you love them and how you serve them. You must be willing to live out your Christianity before them. And this is what he's asking the wives. Live out your Christianity before your husband. He actually must observe your faith in action. Francis of Assisi says, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, 
use words. What he's saying is most often, the most powerful sermons, they're unspoken. When we have integrity and we live our lives consistently by the standards of our faith, do you know people actually notice that? They go, this person actually lives out their faith. They notice that more than if you're trying to argue with them. So think of your behavior as this this submission to an investment in your husband's salvation. See, the word one over there is the Greek word, and it's a verb, kadeno, which originally meant to acquire by effort or investment to gain. You're investing in him. By submitting and showing him Christ, you're investing into the possibility that he might come to faith in Christ. Charles Spurgeon says, The wife is to submit to her husband not as a slave, but as a companion who loves and respects him. We're not to be slaves. Submission is not, all right, cool. You have to do everything he says. You've got to serve him and all this. It's not that. It's this voluntary submission to hopefully draw him into Christ, to show him the love and the respect. What I'm not saying here, I'm going to say this multiple times, I'm not saying that you're meant to be a slave or you're meant to be under submission of abuse or sin or some immoral behavior to any degree. Can I be very clear? That's not what I'm saying, and that's not what the text is saying. The text is saying. But here's the thing: you might win them over when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So, purity. What's this? This is purity of heart. What is your motive? What's your motive behind submission? Is it to win them over? It's this reverence to God and to your husband. It's this respect. We should honor and respect each other. Both purity and reverence. They're beautiful character traits that P is encouraging us to have right here. He says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold or jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. He says, Your your, your beauty shouldn't just come from outward adornment. Does this mean that Christian women should just wear shabby clothes and unkept hair and no jewelry? No, that's, that's not what he's saying here. Peter's not against looking respectable. What he is saying, though, is that we spend a lot of time making ourselves look good on the outside, but we spend little time on the inner self. We spend little time developing the inner heart. Like how many of us get up during the day and we have all of these practices and disciplines to look good on the outside? We'll go shopping, we'll get all this stuff, and we'll, we'll worry about what should I wear today to look good. And we spend all this time in that Yet we spend no time on our character. We spend no time on developing the inner self. So how much time do you spend on on looking good for the day, to look good on the outward appearance? Do you spend any time in God's Word? Do you spend any time reading and praying to, to, to develop that inner self? I mean, we've all had an experience of this, right? We've met someone, either the guy's handsome or a woman's beautiful, and on the outward appearance, they're perfect, they're amazing. And then you get to know them, and they're horrible, right? They're like evil, and they're nasty, and they gossip, and you're just like, oh, you are ugly on the inside, right? We've all met someone like that. It's not about just how you look on the outside. But he says, Peter, rather, your focus, rather it should be that of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is a great worth in God's sight. But he's saying, don't just look on the outside, but look on the inside for that true beauty that should be in you, that inner self. And we've all met the opposite, right? Someone who just has a beautiful soul. We've met people who are just so encouraging and loving and have hope 
enjoying them, and we see them and we're like, wow, that's amazing. I wish I was like that person. I'd love to have that person around me all the time to encourage and, and help me in this life. They just have this, this inner beauty that's just so attractive. That's what Peter's talking about, this unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Our physical bodies fade, right? Amen? Yep, all the people my age and up are like, yeah, I used to look good. Now I'm just like, oh, old, I'm getting all wrinkly and getting the dad bod, like, amen? And all the young adults are like, don't know what you're talking about. You will. You will one day. But physical beauty fades, right? But there's a beauty that is unfading. And some of them, there's this beautiful soul, it's this unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. You know, I was in chaplaincy and I used to do a lot of funerals, a lot of funerals, because I was in aged care. So I'd either do the funerals or I would be part of funerals. And it always amazed me when I would know these people, you know, in their 90s or 100s when they're nearing the end of their, of their life. And I would see them and get to know them at that stage. And then we go to these funerals and have all these pictures of their life when they were young. I'm like, wow, they were so young and they were fit and they were so handsome. This is amazing, right? But all that fades. But there were some of them that I met that just had this beautiful soul, just had this beautiful heart that I was like, man, when I'm 90 or if I'm suffering like that, what they're suffering through, man, I pray that I'm like that. Because they just had this beautiful part inside them, this beautiful, gentle and quiet spirit. What does that mean? Well, gentle just means meek. It's this means not being overly impressed by oneself or self-importance. It's just being gentle or humble or considerate. It's being meek. Perhaps you see the qualities of this inner beauty best looking at the opposites, right? Someone who's self-obsessed, pushy, manipulative, selfish. The Christian woman has this inner beauty because she knows who she is in Christ and doesn't be, need to be someone she's not. And it's this quiet and, and gentle spirit. Quiet actually just means well-ordered, meaning a state of quietness without disturbance and inner peace. This doesn't mean that she only speaks when she's spoken to, okay? That's not what this means. It means this woman has an inner beauty that's at peace within herself, and she shows that through her actions and her attitudes. It means her speaking actually flows out from this peaceful spirit that trusts in God and is secure in His love. She's gracious, she's kind, she's loving, she's encouraging. So the question is, how do we cultivate this kind of Christian character or inner beauty. Well, it's the same way Christians have male and female for all the time. It's by regularly yielding to the Spirit, yielding to God's Word, yielding to His ways and His commands. It's through discipleship. The question is, who is discipling you? Who are you sitting with? Who have you given permission to call you out and say things like, Scott, that's not loving. Scott, when you do that, when you're around your wife, that's not okay. That's not following the word of God. If we don't have someone calling us out, then we're not going to know. We're not going to know our blind spots, right? We're not going to know where I should actually be following God. We need to be yielded to the Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You see, this inner beauty comes from the Holy Spirit, from the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. We need to be yielding to these things in our lives to develop the character in us. John Calvin says, The beauty is found in the soul that is inwardly transformed by the Spirit of God. 
And Peter says, which is of great worth in God's sight. You know, God looks at the heart of a person, not the outward appearance. He knows what you look like outwardly. He created you. He's not interested in that. He's interested in, are you developing that inner heart? You see, God sees straight through all of that. All of what we purvey out into the society of who we actually are, God sees directly to your heart. And he's looking for people who have hearts turned towards him. Did you know this is the will of God for each and every one of us, how we're meant to treat each other? And this type of submission, it's of great worth in the eyes of God. Again, we have scripture here that tells us what God wants, what God values, and how God wants us to live. You don't have to guess about how you're meant to live your life or knowing the will of God. It's clear right here in scripture. We're meant to submit and love one another. He continues, for this is the way that the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to endure themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are daughters, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So this is the way holy women of the past put their hope in God and adorn themselves. We have so many examples in the Old Testament of women who submitted to their husbands, but this beautiful submission but showed their inner beauty by their conduct, their submission to God and their husbands with this gentle and quiet spirit. And he gives one example. He says, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You see, Sarah submitted to Abraham and obeyed the call of God to leave their land. God comes to Abraham and says, leave your land. I'm going to call you to a land that you don't know. Can you imagine what it's like? Abraham was the patriarch. He takes his entire family. Like you're walking into the unknown. But she didn't make it difficult. She didn't fight against Abraham. Why? Because she understood that Abraham was following God. And she was being obedient to God's call and God's command as well. You see, this text is not telling my wife, Georgie, she's got to call me Lord. Okay? It'd be cool. No, it'd be a little bit creepy. It'd be weird, to be honest. And she definitely wouldn't do it, I can tell you that. What it is doing, though, it's revealing this deep respect and honor that Sarah had for Abraham. This is actually beautiful and virtuous character trait of Sarah. There's something to actually be revered. Because he says, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. If we emulate Sarah, we're doing what is right. We're doing the right thing. Submission is doing what God God desires. And Peter's actually pleading with us, don't give way to fear. Fear of what? Fear of submission. Because over the years, over the centuries, in that time and in our time, men have used this verse and other verses to dominate women, to oppress women. Men have done it for years. They've done it then. They're still doing it today. So I understand the fear. Again, I am not saying that a woman should submit to a husband that is evil or abusive in any way. In any way. Domestic violence is rife and it is wrong. Hear that from me. Whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, any kind of abuse or oppression is wrong. And we are here for you. We want to stand with you. We have professionals that can help you, get you safe. If that is you, please reach out to us because that is not okay. But what Peter is saying here is that in a good, loving remarriage, where there's no oppression, there's no abuse, we should not fear submission. Peter is urging Christian women not to fear submission but to demonstrate godly submission to be a witness to the gospel. This is such a word for us today because submission is a dirty word. 
We don't like to submit to anything. We're so like self-absorbed these days, like I ain't having anyone tell me what to do, right? I ain't having anyone tell me how I can live my life. I'm going to do whatever I want. We just hate submission in any form. Submission is a godly act because it focuses on others and it reflects the character and nature of God. We fear submission, but we're told that it's a beautiful, virtuous character trait that God actually loves. Charles Spurgeon says, fear, our submission is not about fear, but about faith. You see, Jesus calls his disciples, you and me, to submit and serve as a reflection of him. In Mark 10, 43, he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, me, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He's like, you want to see an example? You want to know what it's like to submit fully? Whoever wants to be great, be servant. And you want to see what that looks like? Watch me on the cross. Because this is what I'm going to do. I'm king. I am Lord. I'm God Almighty in the flesh. He could have come and made everyone serve him. Because I didn't come for that. I came to serve you as a true example. Martin Luther says, Submission is not about being a slave, but about being a free person who chooses to obey out of love. So we talked about Christian wives here, right? And Peter spends more time here because of the particular challenges Christian women had in regards to society and patriarchy. That's why he spends a lot of time there, because they were oppressed. They were under this domination. So he's got to address that in a larger way. But it's not because women are less spiritually mature than men or less valuable in God's kingdom. It's because they face greater challenges of oppression and suffering under men and husbands in that time and culture. But now in verse 7... Peter speaks directly to husbands. He says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. He says, Husbands, in the same way. So everything I've just spoken about, everything I've just said, husbands, in the same way, respect your wives. Consider your wives. Respect them. You know, like that story before where I talked about my journey and respecting my wife and, and trying to bring that, that unity we have together in Christ. You know, one of the other verses in those months where God was showing me where I wasn't loving her well, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's sacrificial love, right? And it's one of my favorite verses. And my wife's like, you ain't got there yet. I know. I know I ain't got there yet. But that's the beauty of it. It's in Ephesians 5. We get that verse. He starts in verse 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. And husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He says, submit to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for God. We start with reverence for God and we submit to one another. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands as you would unto the Lord. So as we would serve and love the Lord, we're meant to serve and love each other. And he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We're meant to sacrifice our lives for our wives. This portion of scripture doesn't say, make your wife submit. Make her be submissive. See, both Paul and Peter command both men and women to submit. And again, it's starting from this place of submitting to God. 
In verse 7, he says, treat them with respect as the weaker partner. He says, treat them with respect. Do you know how crazy this would have been in that time? Because in that time and culture, you did not respect the female ladies. There was no respect because they were weaker. They didn't have the rights that we have today. Women have much more rights than they did back in that time. So to say respect your wife, that would have been like, what? Out of everything we read today, submit to your husbands, that wouldn't have shocked anyone. It literally wouldn't. This would have shocked them. They would have gone, what? Me, the patriarch? I've got to respect my wife? You see, because Paul calls Christian husbands to seeing their way of marriage as something way better, to see love as their primary goal, sacrifice as their primary goal, to see their wives differently. But he does say as the weaker partner. Peter describes a wife here in terms that aren't politically correct today. All right? But he's a realist. He's speaking into the realness of their lives. He calls the women the weaker partner. He's speaking about this physical weakness here. And we need to understand it in that time... Physical weakness was viewed as evidence that women aren't as valuable or as capable as men. Therefore, you had to be subject to men and you weren't treated with consideration and respect. It was okay not to treat them with respect just because they were physically weaker. So Peter calls this out. He acknowledges that that's actually happening in society, that they are weaker physically, but he flips the thought of the culture and says, no, Christian men should consider and respect their women. Christian... Christian men or husbands are not to look down on them as lesser just because of physical weakness or physical strength. Why? Because in the beginning, God made them male and female. In Genesis 1, 27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Both male and female are made in the image of God and have equal value and worth. And therefore, Christian men should treat their women as equals in all ways. Just as the wife is to submit and honor and respect the husband, the husband is to honor and respect the wife regardless of this physical difference. This would have been a radical thought in Peter's day, a radical thought. Christian men would have been like, whoa, this is tough. But see, Peter learned this kind of respect at the feet of Jesus, who treated women with a great deal of respect and honor. Just read the Gospels. See how Jesus treated women. They were seated at his feet. They were his disciples learning from him. He never pushed them away. He was respectable to them in all ways. And we just have to look at him. And then Peter actually continues. He says, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. He says, they're co-heirs with you. This is another radical thought in that time. Because Jewish men especially, in the Jewish culture, the inheritance went to the oldest son. They got 50% of the inheritance. And if there were three or four other sons, they had to divide up the other 50%. But it was patriarchal. That eldest son became the patriarch of the entire family. You know, the women got no inheritance at all. It was only the guys. So for Peter here to say, you're co-heirs. Peter's actually te teaching this equality of male and female in the most important part of life. The gospel. Salvation. That we both receive faith and grace, Right? We both receive eternal life. I don't get more of the Spirit than my wife. I don't get more grace than my wife. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all come to the cross as equals. You know, Paul talks about this in Galatians 3. He says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. 
For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew or Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is no female, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Even this verse speaks into last week. Whether we're part of the authority or we're under authority, whether we're a boss or we work for someone, whether we're a husband or a wife, Jesus came to save us all. That it doesn't matter what nationality, whether we're Jew or we're Greek or we're Australian or we're Malaysian, Jesus came to save and seek that which was lost, and that was humanity. This is why Jesus came, right? He came because with humanity, we'd walked away from him. But he didn't want to leave us there, so he comes and he takes upon the cross my sin and your sin because he wants relationship with you. He wants to show you how much he loves you. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter what position you have in the world. Jesus come to seek and save humanity. And that's what he did when he goes to the cross. And anyone who repents and puts their faith in him receives eternal life. We are co-heirs to this beautiful promise. Do you want to come up, mate, when you're ready? And finally, Peter reminds husbands that they are accountable to God. God will judge them if they misbehave and oppress their wives. He said that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is not a men, men, this is not a portion of scripture that gives you permission to make your wife submit or dominate her. And when we treat our wives with disrespect and not as co-heirs to the life and the promises of God, we actually hinder our prayers. We hinder our prayers. And I believe that Peter finishes with this because of that. Because this was an issue for men. God's not happy with our conduct, and he's warning men here. Not to be domineering or oppressive to your wife or women in general. That's why he finishes this whole section with this warning. Because that's what we've done for all of history, recorded history, right? Even Christian men have used certain verses in the Bible to oppress their wives and women. But Christian men are called to be different. We're called to lay our lives down. To lead sacrificially. To love sacrificially. And Peter is teaching Christians, all Christians... We're called to live, not like the rest of the world, against submission, but in active submission. Remember the start of each of these verses. Wives, in the same way, he's, he's reflecting back to what was taught last week. And he says, husband, in the same way. What I've spoken to the wives, and what I've spoken before, we're both meant to act like Jesus. Because the verses just prior to this, in verse 21, it says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Hallelujah. Jesus is our example, and the gospel is our foundation. Jesus is our example, and the gospel is our foundation. So what's Peter teaching here? Well, he's narrowing that focus. He's narrowing it into the family space. He's continuing with that theme of submission. He's saying submission, a submission that will actually show the unbelieving spouse the power and the grace of God in hope that our godly conduct, that, that inner person, that inner transformation, that, that inner beauty might actually turn them to Jesus. 
that both husbands and wives of the love respect and honor each other. And they were all co-heirs in the gospel. We all received the same gift of salvation and eternal life. We're commanded to submit to God first. Submit under his authority that we would be a blessing to society. Then we're commanded to submit under authorities that they would see the beauty and the wonder of who Jesus is and God's people coming together to be a blessing. We're meant to submit under our bosses. Work with integrity. Work with honor that maybe they would see Christ in us. And we're meant to submit in our family space. Sons and daughters to parents, husbands to wives, wives to husbands. It's just what we're meant to do to show the grace of God. It's a witness to the gospel. It's all revealed through submission, which shows us the power and the reality of God. In the hope, the hope that maybe how we live our lives would turn people to Jesus and that they would receive grace. All for God's glory. John Wesley says, Submission is not about weakness, but about strength. Because we put it in the one who is strong, the one who is faithful, the one who is good, the one who empowers us to be his hands and feet in the world. Would you join me in prayer? Father, when I read your word, I get convicted because I don't live this out perfectly. My sin still pervades in the way that I love and the way that I lead, the way that I treat people. So God, forgive me. Lord, forgive us. We don't walk this out perfectly. Holy Spirit, would you just convict our hearts we're not walking in step with you. Empower us with boldness and courage to love well, to lay down our lives, to not fear, but to show people your love, your mercy, and your grace. That God, maybe someone would put their faith in you and we'd be a part of that. You might be sitting here and you've never received that grace from God. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. I'm here today to tell you that he died for you. He came to show you how much he loved you. And if you would just repent and put your faith and trust in him, you can have eternal life. You can have the Holy Spirit come and live and dwell inside of you. So if that is you, I'd just love you to put your hand up now. I'd love to pray for you. Everyone's head's bowed. If you just raise your hand now, that'd be great. Thank you. you saw that hand Father I thank you that when people come to you and they repent of their sin and they put their faith and trust in you your word says that those who confess their sins you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness I just pray that now God that you would come fill us with your Holy Spirit that we would walk in step with you day by day, that we would see your glory manifest through our lives for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. If you'd like to stand, we're about to worship. And this song is about surrender. You know, we can't do any of this. We can't do any of this unless we first surrender to God. 
unless we first surrender to Him, unless we first know His love, His mercy, His grace, and then let that flow in and through us. So as we sing this song, let's sing it as the cry of our heart that we will be transformed by His power and His grace. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or our Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.